0: Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm Matt Druett-Card, uh, your host today. Thank you, for host today. Who else is going to be hosting? Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, continuing to listen, subscribe, download, etc. however this whole technology thing works. Um, we are in this weird spot right now where there is no legislative process happening, no legislative body thing going on. There's some things happening at DOE Beyond. So we're in the process of, you know, transitioning not only of the show but in legislation and so we're probably going to be getting back into some things legislative wise in the new year and there's a little bit of a vote coming up pretty soon uh, an election I don't know if any of you paid attention to that so if you haven't already gone and voted go out and vote and make sure that you have your voice heard um, and one of the things that we will be are doing here is we're taking a bit of a different look at what's been happening in Maine over the course of the, of the well the pandemic time in particular since there's been no legislation and a major conversation that has arisen and we are uh, trying to be a part of that conversation is on uh, racism and bias in our schools in our curriculum in our instruction in our educational systems etc. Um, We started this off with a discussion with uh, Courtney Balolan from the Maine Curriculum Leaders Association, thinking about it from a level of um, curriculum. And today we're going to take a bit of a different look. We are going to look at it from the level of um, a school board and a school board policy and policy-driven practice. And to help me out with this, um, as many of you may know or may not know, I was on a school board for five years here in Maine, but we're also going to bring into the fold another a person who has some school board experience and has some experience being on this podcast, our returning champion, (laughs) Stephanie Cantor. How are you,
1: Stephanie? I'm good. Thank you. I I have to say, like, it means a lot to me. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know.
0: This is, you know,
1: my, one of the podcasts that I listen to most consistently, so...
0: Well, well thank you thank you very much for 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 listening and continue to support us and for clearly having nothing better to do in your life than <laughs> to put whatever this is into your earbuds and spend listen to whatever it's because let's, let's let's be honest and fair we i go through this every time we talk uh-huh. you don't live in maine i know <laughs> you live in rhode island
1: Oh, correct. But you know, that just, if I'm, if that's what I'm drawn to in those personal moments, I guess that just tells me that I'm on the right path of spending my time professionally and personally doing what is, um, what feels interesting and important to me. And then plus, I'm also entering this, this, the, the, the closure of my time on the school board. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how do I stay involved in a way that's really productive and positive um, and it has occurred to me to to start a podcast in Rhode Island for like a similar mission that you that you guys have so
0: you know <laughs> what better, you think we have a mission
1: <laughs> well what better blueprint to follow if no. you want to call it a, See,
0: blueprint. There, a blueprint great because really all that happened was Matt and I were confused about something and said well should we talk <laughs> about it and we said I don't Love know you. So let's, let's talk about board policy. Yeah. Um, I was on a policy committee for a board for several years. Did you, you worked on board policy as well, I'm sure. Right, correct. So one of the things that we're learning about this whole thing of like racism and bias, implicit, explicit in our systems is that we don't often, it might not be seen. That's the implicit side. We might not know what's happening. We might have really well-intentioned policies, Mm -hmm. procedures, et cetera, and the ripple effect from those um, might have some level of real significant and detrimental impact in terms of bias. So the way that I'm framing all of these conversations that we're having about racism and bias in our curriculum instruction, et cetera, is based on three basic questions. The first is, well, if we want to look at this, how do we start? what are the questions that we need to ask? Um, what are the questions that you've asked? The second is going to be, all right, we've asked the questions. How do we know what we have? Mm-hmm. Um, what might, quote, it look like or feel like? And uh, a comparison I came up with is that um, that expression of uh, seeing the forest through the trees. Well, let's see the forest through the trees, but also Let's make sure that we see the trees in the forest, because if we set a policy to see the forest of the trees at ten thousand foot, let's also get down to that grass, that ground level of seeing what impact that policy has had on the trees, because some might be more sickly or impacted than others. Mm-hmm. And then the so if we one word, how do we start? How do we know if we're there? And then the third, we've now learned these things. What are we going to do about it? So let's start. Um, okay. With how do we start? How, how, right. how do we start this whole process? What, what, what What's your experience been?
1: So in, uh, in your first episode on this topic and you were speaking with Courtney and she said that it really does start at the, there is an individual responsibility to this. Um, mm-hmm. and it, for me personally, I mean, it took almost 40 years for me to begin unpacking the biases that I've been building all along. Um, I, took uh, an implicit bias test. It was through, it was through Harvard. The Harvard one? Yeah, and I mean, it was, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, it tests, it it had, there's a metric down to a fraction of a second to determine the connections that you make with um, European European American faces and positive or negative words, and African American faces and positive or negative words. And I mean, it was very clear that I have a strong inclination towards um, European American imagery. And I consider myself as someone who is like really determined to make what however big that increment is i want to make incremental positive change through myself and my family and i have a very clear bias um so there is a there's a personal individual responsibility to this but you also can't wait for everybody to say like oh i think i'll take an implicit bias test and see if i need to make right. some changes um when you mentioned earlier the need to really examine policy, like a phrase comes to mind. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, show me your bank account and I'll tell you what you value. Um, Show me your policy book and I'll tell you what your district values because you can talk about these issues and these inequities, um, these disparities. Um, But if it's not reflected in your policy book, then you're really not giving it the respect it deserves. And um, you know, I think it's important at, because the policy is where your, your district values lie, it's important to do anti-racism work sessions at the school board level. Like We began this work by having a facilitated discussion about the groundwater approach by the Racial Equity Institute, um, which teaches how to use data to measure the systemic impact of racism and to like the, to track the institutional change. Um, that being said, we did have a group of young people in town that were organizing for mm-hmm. anti-racism efforts. Um, they were developing a list of demands, and you know, rightfully so. So we started the work by doing anti-racism work to understand what systemic and structural racism is before we even really started looking at the trees. Because in that groundwater approach, it's, you know, to to use your forest and trees um, analogy, if you have a tree, a sick tree, a damaged tree, what if it's the groundwater? So you can't chop down the dead limb. You can't somehow protect from, you know, like lightning damage, whatever you would do if there's a groundwater issue, right? And that's where the structural systemic element comes into play, like it's not a one-off, it's not one sick tree, it's groundwater that's making the trees sick.
0: So in, in your experiences or what you're, what I'm basically hearing you saying is that the policy level, the policies that we develop and design, they're not actually, you're not actually probably going to see those in play you're not actually going to see them they're not overt what your what the policies are they're they're the groundwater they are things that are underneath mm-hmm. they're the things that are that everything else is built upon so you might right. not you might not be able to see directly yep um where or what the implicit bias is in them or what right. the sickness is depending on how yeah we're metaphor seeing you want to go sickness
1: with. like downriver, right like and it could and it can come from policies at your municipal level too like zoning restrictions um access to transportation what kind of um public programs you have um so it's not it's the schools are very important they are really can be like the heartbeat of a community and it's
0: our sure. chance
1: to to get in front of perhaps some generational change, but there's other policies in place that are further supporting this structural racism. And like in that um, groundwater approach, a phrase that resonated me with me was structural racism, um, because structures can be built, they can be raised to the ground, they can be rebuilt, they can be renovated, like it, it actually gives me hope to think of it as structural racism, because it's not an insurmountable concept, it's very concrete. So if it's a structure, then we can dismantle it. And the way we dismantle it is through policy. So if we have the right policies in place, and we have the right professional development in place, and we're really fostering um, an education of anti-racist, anti-black learning. Mm-hmm. Then, by the time our students get to the point where there's such a gap between the students that are taking AP, or gaps in how many students are represented in our top ten, or anything like that, a discipline metrics, like you, we've done our the real nitty-gritty work of um, dismantling the policies that are building those racist
0: sure. outcomes now i don't i don't know if this is the same way down where you are Because i, I want to dive into a little bit of the policy design policy creation mm-hmm. and policy implementation um but when i was on the board and during my time as both a teacher and administrator, one of the things that I've learned, at least here in Maine, is that when you're creating policy, you want to create them so that it, it gives a general view, but you also want to create them in, that are vague, you know, mm-hmm. like, vague enough so that there's going to be a level of implementation, freedom and autonomy at both the building level at, at across the board. So. If we're creating a policy, policies then that are going to be up for levels of interpretation that are going to be level that are going to be um, developed in a way. Is that is that similar to how things are developed policy wise? Hmm. I mean, because they because we have a structure where we have policies and we have procedures, and right. policies in the state of Maine policies are things where they have to be go out, go through board approval. They have to get voted mm-hmm. on, have multiple readings, et cetera. Yep. Procedures though don't. Procedures are ways in which we implement said policy and yep. we can just go, like any administrator, or superintendent can go to the board and say, we just wanted to show you, here's what we're doing, here's the procedure, here's how we're changing things. Um, yep. When I hear when I hear folks say things like we have a school policy, well, no, you have a school procedure. Procedure, we right. have a school procedure that then is aligned to the policy of the district. So let's right. be very clear with what we have because procedures can change relatively yes. easily policies are a lot harder to change yeah so i guess what i want to know is to what extent is that similar to where you are what's been your experience with that and then we're going to get into well is that the policy design of the mm-hmm. systemic racism or is it the procedure that really needs to right Be because i mean
1: your procedures basically live in your school handbooks and those can change year right. to year and um so it's similar here but I would argue that there are certain topics that shouldn't be left up to interpretation such as racism is bad and racism is unacceptable in our schools, right? So like those, I, don't, I wouldn't wanna leave any areas that are vague enough for teachers sure. that perhaps haven't gotten to the point where they've recognized maybe that there are some biases in their instructional practices where they can continue those like I think that there are some areas that there needs to be uh, a really hard line and policy review can be like really daunting I mean we had a po- we formed a policy subcommittee to do those deep dives with our superintendent and our attorney and then find opportunities to update policies not just with not just with anti-racist language but also updates to current regulations I mean some of them were so outdated um, but a good example in my opinion of policy and like handbook procedure mm-hmm. perhaps going wrong is with the with dress code like dress code <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so i we went through oh. before i was on the school board i was actually on a dress code subcommittee
0: it's completely to, implemented 100 percent fairly oh, and equitably across all right. genders and races isn't it it's All the what's time. What's
1: crazy is, at least in our district, this was a handbook thing, and so you could even you could look at these this handbook on the dress with the dress code, and you could almost follow it through time. And you're like, oh well, this year this particular year, someone got offended by this very specific thing, and now we have this in our handbook. And you get to the end and it's just like, wow, this is super sexist and classist. And I mean, there was mentions of like not wearing dirty clothes. Who chooses to wear dirty clothes if they don't have another option? Like that's just, and and what wow. does that do to a child that is being called out in a hallway because they're wearing dirty clothes? Mm-hmm. Like I, I you know, we we burned that down and made it so it was more like safety issues right no open-toed shoes in a lab no hoods up over your head because you can't be seen clearly on video camera
0: on the video camera sure. Thing,
1: things that were for safety reasons safety also you know no um derogatory language sure. or hate language things like that so spaghetti but straps was, because
0: they're distracting
1: right i i couldn't even believe Ugh. that i was like you know what how about we just how talk dare about you maybe, how about we talk about raising these kids not to be uh-huh. so unhinged at the sight of a shoulder
0: i know, you know? It, it's it's it, <laughs> i've i've been so infuriated by so much of that for so many years
1: but when and the dress I, I remember, code I'm, lives in a handbook yes that leaves a lot of room for a, for adults to insert their own Mm-hmm. Um, their own issues in in implementing that. So, yeah.
0: and, and here's gonna be. I really a hot wanted take. It to be a policy. Here's a hot take okay. from Matt: Adults have issues. Mhm. Yes, adults have issues. We we're uh, uh, breaking news. We're the problem. <laughs> I know. I know. We are we are the ones who are who are causing most issues. So so you're talking more about the the procedures level and uh, these other things that are kind of built in. So th- those are some of the things to kind of look at and look for. Right in the procedures and then how do you connect that to then the policy level
1: right and like i mean in a procedure maybe it's more about what's the appropriate way to engage with your students and their families when there is something that arises out of a policy right you would you would engage with a second grader and a second grader's family after multiple perhaps dress code violations or whatever it is, whatever policy violations, maybe differently mm-hmm. than you would at a junior high or high school level. So maybe that's where the handbook and the procedure comes into to play is like how sure. is this how are we engaging
0: sure. the no, learning I, I, community? Yeah, the 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 procedures are essential. I think that when you're looking at things like when when you see when you're doing an examination of a handbook and you're seeing all this language about like dress code and impl- and there's there's absolute implicit bias that is with mm-hmm. that is within those particular things and we can you can see them and we get we have to challenge them ourselves and yep. like you were saying at the very beginning well, the first thing is acknowledging your own bias and we're really focusing on both racism and um and and and, and, and racial bias but bias is also very widespread and mm-hmm. so. I think it's also an opportunity to really look at those issues when you see it to look at gender bias to look at our grading structures and to think about things like how are our grading structures um, impacted or Im- impacting or uh, how are our grading structures affecting and impacting um, with dis- with people with disabilities with english learners mm-hmm. um, are we giving socioeconomic status where where does that all play into our the way that we do grading our policies and procedures for that how are they impacting all of our, um, all of our learners, not right. just and 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 by and by looking at it, asking the questions, not just at the at, at that level of, you know, the the transcripts and you yeah. know, who's going to college or whatnot, but let's look at the other sides of it in terms of how are we building in things like, um, um well, here's here's one for example, how how how, how do we deal with bathrooms? in our buildings. Right. Yep. Do we have male and female is it is it a Gender, binary approach? Yeah. Right. And how inclusive is that? To what extent do we do we allow our our teachers, our educators, our administrators etc to say okay boys and girls please sit down. Mhm. Well, hang on a second. There will be right. th- that that's that how inclusive we're, also, we're is just that not
1: language? and it's not realistic. Right. So if, if our goal is to prepare students along the way for successfully transitioning into adulthood in this world, like as a global citizen, even as a, just a state citizen, a regional citizen, that's not the full picture. We're not living in a binary world. No, we're not. You so know, so if, you... If, if we're not preparing them, we're not doing our job.
0: So then if we see these things, these are the questions we're asking, we're mm-hmm. seeing these things, we found some of this stuff. We found some of these potentials. We, we, we've, we've seen the forest. We've now seen the trees. Mm-hmm. Well, what can be done about it? Like how might a policy yeah. be written at like that, like a policy be written so that it is specific and targeted to deal with things like bias, to deal with mm-hmm. racism, to deal with sexism, to deal with um, inequalities. Uh, yet also, maintain that level of policy design where it's not going to be this that does have this thing where you you, you might need to do, is this an area where you become inflexible where a policy becomes yeah. inflexible it in that should way? be timeless or As timeless as possible just something that you just kind of create a thing that we're not going to use any kind of racist gender biased etc language that right the, it shouldn't
1: you policy shouldn't be trendy it should be as timeless as possible
0: um, yeah. Cause they're a pain but, to change, yeah, yeah. but they all, but <laughs> and and aside from that, from from a, from a board member's perspective, like, Oh, we got to go through this again. It's also right. like, this is also the foundation of our school. And like you said, right. Uh, show me your policy book and I'll show you what you care about. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is really, really important. Right. So that how do we design, how do we design those policies?
1: So, I mean, one of your, bullet points was what questions do we need to ask? And I mean, I think what you have to ask is like, do our families of color feel safe? Do our students of color feel safe? Do our non-binary gendered students feel safe? Basically do any of our marginalized students or families feel, do they feel safe? Um, What are some immediate changes? So those are maybe the trees. Maybe and in, in the tree in this instance, not being like the individual learner, but a, um, an action. What are the immediate changes we can make to ensure that those um, BIPOC families feel their their bodies are theirs, that they are safe in our buildings? Um, because you can make some immediate changes to ensure. Like we we went through some work this past summer. We passed um, we we passed a lot of votes that were specifically designed for our families to feel like going into this school year that we were taking this seriously and that we were were going to ensure that they could feel safe sending their students into our buildings. Um, Mm -hmm. From there, we chose to create an advisory committee that was comprised of only BIPOC community members. They are informing us moving forward to keep us in check because. Um, I do feel really strongly that there's this like historical tendency for white folks to kind of act on their own solution, assuming that they know best, because they've always they've become so used to being in charge and knowing best. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't want to act. I, I want to find some key areas. These were actually um, populated in large part out of that youth group that organized and had those demands. Um, we had some quick action items. But then for long-term change, we didn't wanna assume that we knew what was best. So we had this BIPOC advisory committee formed. It's not a subcommittee. It's not an official subcommittee. So they don't, we're not managing them.
0: Can you just define what we, BIPOC is?
1: Um, Black, indigenous, people of color.
0: Thank you. Sorry, yep.
1: Nope, Another it's okay, I just wanna argument, make sure that, our, right? that everyone's yes. on on the board. Sorry about that. Black, indigenous, um, and people of color. And so we we are advised by them. We have a facilitator, actually one of the facilitators that walked us through that groundwater approach. Um, and there's two of them. They, are, uh, they work for Nonviolence Rhode Island, um, and they specialize in facilitating using Kingian nonviolence. Kingian as in Martin Luther King. Um, sure. I don't know if I, I could pronounce it the best. Um, So our forward work really is going to be informed on what they say is important to them. And um, a good example of, I think, white folks taking the wheel and maybe acting too quickly and not thoughtfully is redistricting, like especially in communities where perhaps the subpopulations of color are proportionally small or tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, And the book, if you haven't read this, I definitely recommend it. It's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And it really makes you think, like, you know, in my town, we have a really small subpopulation of Native American students and Black students and students that um, are of several, uh, two or more races. And the majority of them are districted to one elementary school out of four. And so the uncomfortable, ashamed, privileged white person might say, well, oh, we have to redistrict and like we have to kind of spread out some racial inequality here. But we have such a small group of Mm -hmm. black and brown students. If we do that, are we just doing that to make us feel better about ourselves that we are now our chances of sending our white child to school with a black or brown student are better, but effectively, are we taking that group that has a very limited peer group that looks like them and we're dismantling it?
0: Sounds and like are doing nice it white at a parents time. Issue.
1: Yes, we're dismantling it and we're doing it at a time where we can't really say for sure that our curriculum is anti-racist. So we're not backing it up with resources and curriculum necessarily, I don't know this for sure, because I haven't seen the results, but I'm just thinking broadly. Sure. If you can't really say, we know for a fact that these students um, are represented in the resources that they see and the history that they learn, um, the authors that they read, the scientists that they learn about, is it really the best anti-racist move to dismantle that small peer group? Like that's particularly relevant to me in the Northeast where it's, you know, at least in my district there are some cities in Rhode Island that are a lot more diverse, but not in mine. So Mm. uh, that's an example of like, what if that BIPOC advisory committee says like, no, like for the time being we actually really want them to have that that kind of that camaraderie that support that comfort level of have of having a better chance of having a a, a peer in their class that looks like them
0: that so, was long-winded. i've had a lot of no 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 you're, you're, that after. was that was that was amazing um, so w- what i'm kind of hearing there is when you have people who are doing this examination who are looking at these things it's the answers are not going to be quick. The answers are not, there's not going to be a very easy solution like redistricting. Like if we mm-hmm. want like integration doesn't, doesn't mean more people uh, you know, uh, more, more people of color uh, brought in. It, it it means more than that. There's a deeper yeah. side to it. So what it means is not just. is it, for for those in charge. If they happen to be, let's say white or, and or male and and have every level level of privilege that they've been they've, they've been afforded over their lives um mm-hmm. to say you don't make the decision let them make the decision and then those people who are in the position to make the decisions make them on behalf of those other people listening to what they had to say listening right. to what, what they are saying instead of saying oh we, it could be it could be quick redistricting it's like nope what is what is this bike uh, committee and, and group saying, and then actually saying, and then we listened to it. Yeah. And then then go forward and put, and then, and then act on it.
1: Using your position of influence or power to make changes the right way. I think this is, this is, it's such a, it can be a really uncomfortable topic. Mm -hmm. And so if something's uncomfortable, you almost like, Oh, what's a quick fix. So we can like stop talking about it, but then it's just going to, you're not really getting to the root of it unless no. you're really prepared i mean we i've been through some seriously uncomfortable awful board meetings listening yeah. to testimonies of families and students and that's exactly what i needed to do was to like sit there in that discomfort
0: sure i mean Maine, you know, Maine just went listen. through this kind of Maine went through this kind of thing as a, as a state last year When and we covered this on the podcast when we switched from Columbus day to indigenous peoples day and also banning all the native American mascots for our schools. Um, and there were a lot of folks who were very much opposed to that and that was a really contentious, there was so much testimony that was written about it. And, um, the, it was very clear that the students, uh, the native American populations were like, people aren't mascots. Yeah. Stop. And right. so, then the, the, so then the legislature and the governor listened and made some substantive changes in, the, in those areas, right. um, be, as opposed to doing what might be just quick and just kind of being, well, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to, to, to us. Yeah, I, I've grown up with it and it's, it's just kind of what I'm used to. So it's fine, but yeah. we should just keep it as it is, as opposed to, no, these things are actually really, really harmful. And it's, right. it's using that level of privilege when you have it, in the, if you have the sphere of influence, Positions yep. of influence to to do something about it. That when you see it, when you acknowledge it, and you when you found that those components in your handbook, when you found those components in your policy that might be might have binary language, that might have uh, unintentional racist or or other biased language in there. If you see it, what are you going to do about it now? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the biggest challenges that a lot of uh, boards are going to have and a lot of superintendents are facing and administrators are going to be facing as well is, well, now what do we do about it? Because the change is going to be hard. And if we choose to not do anything about it, if we choose that this is not a priority on our list of priorities, then to what extent are we um, perpetuating things? To what extent are we now being willfully ignorant of the situations around us?
1: I think this is definitely um, an example of if you permit it, you promote it, you know, if you will permit um, a a monolith of Native Americans as bloodthirsty warriors by having them used as mascots, Mm. if you'll permit that, you're kind of promoting that monolith, you know, if you're If you are permitting most of your engagement with your Black students to kind of um, be a monolith of defeat and poverty, like you're kind of promoting that. Um, You know, it's the, I think the first thing people look to is like that, including that non dominant perspective in curriculum and teaching. And it has to be given the airtime and the focus and, and the power that it deserves rather than just in that controlled unit or lesson or class. But, you know, it really has to extend to stories of triumph and success too, because again, like by just saying the non-dominant perspective, now we're kind of making this statement that to be a, an an African-American to be a black or brown person in this country means you're non-dominant, like you're never on the side of triumph or success, you know?
0: Right, yeah, no. So,
1: you know, it's it's like a a few, there's a few layers to that, you know? On one hand, yeah, we talk an awful lot about how awesome we are for being of European descent, but, and, you know, and it doesn't tell the full picture of history, but there's a lot of triumph and success to be had in um, black and brown Latinx culture. So yeah. that's important too. And actually from what I've seen through work, like Maine has really prioritized threading those their social studies themes together and including Maine Native American studies and other states have done similar work with ethnic studies and yeah. LGBTQIA plus studies. Um, I mean, like students of any marginalized group just shouldn't grow up thinking that their only place in edu- not just education, but in the in civilization is in like a siloed area of study, you know?
0: I, yeah, absolutely. But
1: that's, that's really hard work. I mean, Rhode Island hasn't really done a good wholesale update to social study standards in a really long time. Like we've got a few patches here and there for Holocaust right. and things like that, but-
0: yeah, and that's, really. and that's, I think that's a great way of looking at it is, is, is a patchwork approach. It's kind of been like a, yeah. uh, a supplementary thing like, oh, yeah, well, we have to cover this. So we'll just do it over here. We'll do Native, Native American studies in like fourth grade or seventh grade right. or something. We'll just, we'll just do it there. But no, no, no. The new standards are very clear that in every area, whether it's civics and government or history or personal finance economics mm-hmm. or geography at every particular level, No. How does this impact? How does this affect? How does this relate to Native Americans and culture? How does it relate to, and global culture? How does it relate to, how does it relate? How does it connect? And that makes the discussions much more intentional in terms of how are we designing our curriculum? How are we designing our instruction? How are we designing our assessment to make sure that we are looking at it from from these multi-lensed perspectives so that we can see, yeah, it's not just, we're not just looking at it from pers- the from perspective of one issue then saying oh yeah there might there might be one other that came in for this way but we're really going to focus on right. this way and saying nope we have to look at it from a multiple perspectives to uh, to then disc- uh ascertain what truth actually right. is
1: and and honestly i don't think like school districts have so much on their shoulders right now but if your state doesn't have a requirement for say ethnic studies as a requirement for graduation or um, main native american studies or uh, lgbtqia studies, anything like woven in you should still do it still, you know yeah, it um, perhaps it, it's a great time to empower and engage your social studies and ela departments to develop it on their own i mean we ethnic studies or, or a scope and sequence under another similar name, it, there's a strong correlation between, between that as a requirement for graduation and an increase in GPA and attendance for at-risk subpopulations. And so like we know this, mm-hmm. so we should do it. We shouldn't wait for our state to mandate it. We should do it if we, if we know that, um, that it's the right thing to do. But it's, you know, there's a lot that needs to be done, right?
0: Oh, just That need
1: to be passed. And- well, that's and that, that's what
0: I was getting to about about prioritization. Yeah, right. And and so I think what what school boards and superintendents and district leaders really have to say is to what extent is this issue a priority? Yeah. Really, what is wh- where is it, and have a have that really hard conversation. I think an administrative team should have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that a school board member should have that conversation because if 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 those conversations don't happen, then it will be piecemeal. Then it, then it will not happen meaningfully that it will not happen. It'll be a patchwork, like you said. And Mm -hmm. if it's a patchwork, then there will not be the substantive sustainable change, which is, which is one of my biggest concerns when, when certain things become say a flavor of the moment. I remember Mm -hmm. a decade ago, RTI was, the bu- or the buzzword was was yeah. was, the, was the buzz thing right and it became this new law and it was this whole big thing and people were all just all rti all the time mm-hmm. and then it got pushed down and pushed down and now it's coming back into the fold because everyone's realizing oh yeah we're supposed to do rti right,
1: supposed- right, what, right. What, what
0: what what did that all mean And we have to do a lot there's been a i've seen a lot of discussions of retraining on what tier one means on tier two means so to what extent was that actually sustainable at the time? Right. And and built into our structure and systems. Some places did it yeah. very well. So then, and I, we're not going to answer this question today. But You're right. In order, to- well, this is to... a
1: multi-generational thing. I mean, when your question is like, how, how will we know we're being successful or met the goal? Right. Like, I don't think there is such a thing as meeting the goal. I think it's a con- like a continuous improvement process. Like the need for culturally responsive audits for diversity and inclusion, it's necessary now, but it's gotta be a continuous thing. Like anti-blackness in public schools is a result of long-standing racist policies that will always seep back in when you're not doing evaluations on a continuous basis. And then there's this element of the, like in our town, for example, our native American families, they have internalized their own learning experience. Perhaps they stayed local, stayed in town, had children. Now their students or their children are students and they still have those internalized feelings of not feeling like they were, they belonged in school. Um, and, and And it does extend to their children. So it's gonna take multiple generations to actually, in my opinion, feel like something is truly, Sustained um, Mm -hmm. before we'll really know it. And at that point, we will see hopefully like more BIPOC students pursuing education because now they're they we have done our part to foster more interest in education. Um, You know, like there is a major shortage of teachers of color like in the country and Mm -hmm. definitely in the Northeast. So, I mean, if we have a commitment to anti-racism, and perhaps maybe we um, have an education CTE, and perhaps we work more through our union chapters or local universities, can we be a part of a greater solution to the shortage of, of teachers of color? Like that's sustainable change, I think. Um, but it it would take a it's going to take a long time to recognize it. You just can't fatigue. Can't on fatigue. the short term, you can't fatigue on it. You know can't what I mean. You have to do it. it so, with.
0: so it sound it sounds like to get back to kind of circle it back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about policies and how policies are often written at a rather just a ten thousand foot view, a rather vague point of view in some ways, and also that's where we get into the procedures. What it sounds to me like what really needs to happen is that, and please correct me if you disagree, um. The policies in this particular area can't be vague. Yeah. They can't I don't be. They have they, they have to be really explicit, really direct, and they have to have some level of requirement within that policy to have some kind of continuous progress monitoring and measurement to see to what extent are are mm-hmm. we living up to this. Think I'm thinking of it like a um like a core values and a beliefs and a mm-hmm. mission statement where to what extent are the decisions that we're making, are the curriculum that we're bringing in, are the uh, uh, are the assessments that we're using, are the instructional plans that we're doing, are the procedures and discipline and data that we're using, to what extent do they meet these criteria? Right. And if we're not asking those questions, we will not know. Right. And if we know we should be asking those questions and we're still not, then what does that say about us and what we believe? Yes. So it sounds like- I mean, a a
1: great starting point is is the retreat. So if you do like a school board and administrator retreat, and if you don't, maybe you should consider it. um, Where you, and it's a public meeting. I mean, it's advertised and the public knows. Um, And you meet, we we did ours in the summer and it's a full day, sometimes two days or more. And there's a topic- to cover and you can dive into really developing or updating your strategic plan and your core values in Mm -hmm. order to make any policy change you have to admit that there's a problem to solve so if the people involved have not come to the point where they would say yes this is a problem you're probably not going to see much policy change so you have to make it like Without a doubt, I mean, we dug into discipline data and attendance data. I mean, discipline data tells a really compelling story. Sure. Um, unfortunately, this data from what, what like from what I've seen so far, it really tends to begin at the middle school range, which is pretty late in the game. And I think that it should be tracked all the way to preschool because, I mean, it's called the preschool to prison pipeline for a reason. There, the forms of discipline aren't as explicit, but they should be measured right. in order to pinpoint underlying disparities we dug into outcomes that were based on all kinds of subpopulations and after looking at that if anyone could have looked at their the person sitting next to them and said this is not a problem you're not sitting at the right table and so that just you cannot deny that there is a problem there and that's where the work begins then you just have to commit again to not fatiguing, doing a workshop on bias, understanding systemic racism and how that, it's not socioeconomic problems, it's racism that causes socioeconomic Mm -hmm. problems. It's, you know,
0: yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough, but it's also, and it's then going to be looking at, not just at, at asking these questions throughout all those layers of um, what might be deemed as a policy, whether it's board governance, administration, mm-hmm. fiscal management, facilities, uh, yeah. school community relations, how, how does the language all apply there? And then if the language and the policy is one thing, to what extent do our structures, those facilities, support services, mm-hmm our budget d- design, et cetera, to what extent do those also um, meet those guidelines, those things that we've now found out about, to what extent are they really yep. there? And that's the level of um, investigation that is hard work. It is because you know there are hundreds and hundreds of policies, but it is mm-hmm. still something that um, it sounds like at a from a systemic level, and I think you might both agree with, this, uh, needs to happen both, intentionally and more on the immediate side Mm -hmm. um, because it's going to be hard it's going to be long work and it's not gonna it's not gonna resolve itself easily and uh, school boards and districts that really care about those quote-unquote the quote-unquote all kids Mm -hmm. for everyone uh, need to have this investigation and need to do this work looking at it from the policy level
1: yeah and for those that are more like operationally minded and think that this is just kind of like emotional fluff you can really i mean you can apply operational work to this you know if the problem you're trying to solve is um attendance problems or out of school suspensions for your um minority students Mm -hmm. you a great way to look at it to really get quickly to the policy root of the problem is to ask five whys like Okay, our black students, yeah, our black students are being um, suspended, um, you know, three times as often as our white students. Why? Because X. Well, why that? Because Y. Why that? Because Z. And you do that five times, and you get to what the real problem is, and maybe you focus your policy work on that. And that's how you avoid being a patchwork district.
0: Stephanie, thank you. This has been an enlightening <laughs> conversation. Uh, I do want to.
1: And really light, huh? Like, oh, not very, l- very out.
0: lighthearted. <laughs> very, very lighthearted, you know, very, very stuff. Uh, if people want to connect with you, want to talk, want to chat with you more or, or get, find out more about what's going on, how could they get in touch with you?
1: So I'm on Twitter. Um, I have to look and see. Oh, it's uh, at Steph R. Cantor, C-I-N-T-E-R.
0: Yep. We'll, um, and we'll put a link and- to it in our. Uh,
1: yeah, we, and, and that's probably a quick way, but I also have Gmail, which is srcantor19 at gmail. Um, well, luckily, and, we only have
0: 17 listeners, too, so you won't get Yeah, kind of spam I know. From so I'm, I'm
1: totally going to get bombarded. I'm going to have to block some time off in my calendar later today to answer all of the. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, this is awesome. It's thank you very much a, for taking, really for cool talking with you
0: thank you very much for taking some time. Uh, and again, for those of you listening, uh, you can you can follow Steph at Steph R. Cantor on Twitter. You can follow us at Maine Ed Matters or on Facebook, Maine Education Matters. Um, thanks again for downloading. Thanks again for listening and we'll do this again soon. All right. Bye. And
1: thanks in advance for being my advisor for my upcoming podcast.
0: Oh, you're, you're, you're <laughs> most welcome. Uh, uh, we'll we'll talk about my hourly rate in a little bit. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Bye. Thanks.